0: Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews is brought to you by Spirituality and Health Magazine, The Soul-Body Connection. Visit SpiritualityHealth.com today. Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews.
1: Hi, and welcome to Authentic Living. You know, as you just heard in the opener, Spirituality and Health Magazine is now sponsoring the Authentic Living Show, and we're delighted about that. Spirituality and Health Magazine, the soul-body connection, one of America's most prestigious spiritual magazines, publishes six times a year, and offers an amazing array of information for the seeker both in print and online. Check them out at www.spiritualityhealth.com. You're going to learn a lot from that magazine, and I'm real proud that they have uh, they have decided to sponsor us. So, a couple of announcements I have about upcoming events, a bit in which I'm going to participate. If those of you who are following my work uh, would like to know about this, there's one interview with Fire Up Your Soul with Dr. Linda Christensen on Wednesday, June 9th at 8 p.m. Pacific, 11 p.m. Eastern, on ContactTalkRadio.com. We'll be talking about your authentic self. And on Michelle Rosenthal's show called Heal My PTSD at uh, www.blogtalkradio.com heal-my-ptsd. On Thursday, June 17th at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 p.m. Pacific, we'll be talking about the healing identity. And stay tuned for more information on my upcoming interview with Brian Adams on his show, Mental Martial Arts. So today, we're going to be talking about your emotions. You know, from every angle, we're basically being told that our emotions are at best invalid and at worst influences that lead us astray. From the rational intellectual world, we're taught that our feelings are just fleeting, fickle flights that have no more value to us than the wind blowing. From the traditional religious world, we're learned that our emotions are not only fleeting and fickle, but invalid and could also lead us into temptation. And from the new age, new thought world, we are currently being told that our emotions are only useful if we can plug them into positive thinking, which allows us to manifest our dreams. So here's what I want to know. What is the purpose of our emotions? Are they unnecessary appendages blowing in the wind like the hair on our heads, yet with greater impact? Or are they gifts given to us as a part of the divine image from which we were created? And if it is the latter, shouldn't we be figuring out how to use them instead of dismissing them? that's the topic of our discussion today you know what I've discovered over the years of working with clients and and, uh, with readers and listeners is that emotion is the field of exploration if we are going to discover our lives in any form or fashion emotion is the field now that does not dismiss the relevance of thought thought is also very important but it is not the end all and be all and our emotions are the irrational part of our lives that we get to explore, and and when I say irrational, most of us think in terms of well that's crazy. Irrational generally means crazy, but actually rivers are irrational, and oceans are irrational, and the wind is irrational, and there are all kinds of irrational things in our world that we don't think of as irrational because we think of it as irrational as crazy, um, but. What what I mean when I say irrational is that it cannot be encompassed by rational thought. Sometimes there, cannot e- there are no words for it. So it can't be put in the realm of here's a little box, this fits your emotions, and that's what it is. One of the things that we've discovered over the years is, um, in the psychological field is that if we can name our emotions, if we can give them a name then we can understand them better. And while I agree with that, there are some times when giving them a name is boxing them in and uh, maybe putting up, making us uh, interpret them in a way that means we're going to use them or misuse them in a certain way. For example, if uh, in the New Age New Thought movement, very often fear is thought of as a very negative feeling. And we, we, we criticize people who supposedly come from a, quote-unquote, fear base. And we say that they are, you know, they, they're running their lives from a, quote-unquote, fear base. And what I would say is the whole of our society, regardless of the world, regardless whether we're talking about Western culture or Eastern culture, the whole of our society is fear-based. So, yes, it is true that the fear base is there. But does that mean that's bad? Um, Or is it just a modus operandi that we've been using for centuries because we thought it worked? Certainly, we want to move beyond the realm of fear. We don't want to have fear dictate our lives for us, and that's what we're talking about, about the fear base. But at the same time, we're not going to be able to get rid of fear uh, by saying to ourselves that, oh, it's a bad thing to have. Um, In fact, I'm not sure getting rid of fear is the object of the game. Uh, the object of the game might be something more akin to hearing our fear, listening to our fear, not obeying it, but listening to it. And the problem is that we're afraid that if we listen to it, we will obey it. And so that's why we have to sort of keep it at bay. We have to keep it at a distance. We have to, you know, um, label it and criticize it and tell it it's bad. So, So that's just an example of what I'm talking about. But here's the deal. Without an exploration of our emotions, we're not going to know ourselves. Without an exploration of our emotions, we're not going to know much about life. In fact, there is not much that we do in our lives that has to do strictly with thought. There's not much that we do in our lives that has to do strictly with behavior. Uh, most of what we are doing in our lives has to do with an experience of Of life and that means that we have to qualify that experience through the emotional impact of that experience and the emotional experience itself so it's really important for us to be able to to look at emotions to understand uh, what they have to say to us to listen to them to sit beside them is the way I like to think about that sort of sitting beside the emotions you know we very many of us have troubled teenagers or teenagers who are at least going through some kind of um teenage angst i've had two teenagers they're both adults now but uh what what happens in that process of adolescence is very akin to what happens to us when we're dealing with our emotions it's very common for us to think of our emotions in terms of um uh things that we have to deal with and we very commonly think of our adolescents as things we have to deal with but but the reality is that adolescent is going through a particular experience and for them it feels extremely important so if we dismiss that feeling for example if your adolescent um, finally does manage to confess to you that they're feeling like they're in love with someone and you say oh you don't even know love you're only 16 what do you know and what we've done is just dismiss the whole deal altogether. Whereas if we were to be able to sit down next to that adolescent and say, well, tell me about it. Tell me what you're feeling. Tell me what that's like for you. What are you, what are you thinking about doing about that? What, what's going on inside you? What we're doing is sitting beside them and hearing them. And that is the challenge of our emotions, to sit beside them and heal, hear them not necessarily to obey them. For example, if that adolescent were to say, well, you know, I think that really I'm I'm in love and this person is not doesn't love me back and so I think I should go kill myself. Well, obviously, we're not going to help them obey that and we're not going to obey that either. So, you know, we, we can sit beside our emotions and hear them without obeying them. And that's what Carl Jung called holding the tension. Holding the tension means... I'm I'm sitting in the middle of myself. I'm hearing the voice of my emotions. I'm hearing the interpretations that come from my old agendas about those emotions. I'm hearing my thoughts tell me all kinds of things, either about the emotions or about uh, that my thoughts can either escalate the emotions or de-escalate the emotions. I'm hearing all of that sort of committee of things going on inside of myself, and I'm listening I'm not deciding yet what I'm going to do. I'm just listening. And I'm I'm just kind of paying attention. And, and as I process and listen through it, I'm going to eventually make a decision. But until I make that decision, I'm holding the tension between the different voices who want me to act right now. But I'm just holding that tension. That's one of the ways that we can begin to explore our emotions is learning how to to uh, uh, use emotions as a field of exploration. You know, I believe, and you may disagree with this, but I believe that we came here to unfold into our fullest soul. Uh, We are, the overculture and our family systems teach us not to unfold into our fullest soul. Uh, They teach us to unfold into what they want from us, the the great day. Um, Our families have an agenda for us most of the time. And the agenda is mostly that we make them look like good parents, <laughs> although there's a lot more to it than that. And some of those agendas are much more distorted than others. But most of the time we come into families where um, it's not just unconditional love and, and, a, and, a, and a mirror that we can look into that says, look, can you see yourself? Can you see yourself? Can you see yourself? Most of the time we don't come into that. Most of the time what we come into is a family system that says, here's what we need you to be, go be that, and then you'll be acceptable to us. And we, needing their love very, very much, and also uh, being very vulnerable to influence at those early stages of our lives when we're trying to decide who we are and where we fit in, we believe them. And that stuff gets in our heads, and we uh, live out of it. And so we, we sort of cave to the system. We cave into the family system, and then we cave later to the overculture, the the school, the church, the 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 laws, the organization, the politics, the whatever, whatever that we we are a part of in our world. And those systems teach us certain things about what's wrong. Big words here coming up: wrong. Those big quotations around that word, and right. Big quotations around those word that word, and of course that. Definition of wrong and right is different for different societies, different cultures, different subcultures. Um, for example, in our culture right now, in America, there's a big deal, a big argument between whether or not gays and lesbians ought to be allowed to be gays and lesbians, <laughs> basically is what it's saying. And, uh, and the overculture, generally speaking, says, no, 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 that's wrong. But in the subculture, which is gay and, and lesbian, uh, bisexual and transgendered, that subculture says, well, you know, it's really wrong for them to tell us who we are because we fall in love with people of the same sex or, you know, we, uh, we can fall in love with more than one gender. Whatever that means, why can't we be that? Why are we being told not to be that? So we have this argument between authenticity and inauthenticity authenticity going on in our culture right now. Who's going to win? Yet to be seen. But that's the kind of thing we're talking about here. So we're going to come back in just a minute with more on your emotions as the field of your exploration.
0: Media for a Transforming World, 7th Wave Network. When I found out my jeans were made using child labor and sweatshops, I wrote a letter to the company saying, reconsider your labor practices. A few months later, I get a letter back saying, thanks for being a loyal customer, and they included a coupon for a 25% discount on their jeans. So I got smart, wrote letters every day to all the stores that carry the brand, asking them to stop supporting the companies who use child labor and sweatshops. And I just kept getting letters back, thanking me for my concerns, and more coupons for more discounts on more jeans. So I'm telling my friend about it, and she flips out, saying that between all the letters and coupons, some paper company cut down a small forest, driving off two indigenous tribes, hundreds of endangered animals, killing thousands of plant species, some of which may have contained vaccines for HIV cancer and syphilis. Meanwhile, the guys cutting down the trees are 13-year-old kids who work night and day for months just to save up enough money to buy a pair of jeans made by child labor in sweatshops. Saving the world isn't easy, but saving a life is. Just one pint of blood can save up to three lives. Visit bloodsaves.com to learn more. This public service announcement was brought to you by the Ad Council. Listening on a higher dimension. Seventh Wave Network.
1: we're back. We're talking today about your emotions and what is the point of them. Why do we have them? Um, I think that my theory is that we have them because they, they are the field of exploration. They are the experience of life. And um, this doesn't mean necessarily that our emotions are always accurate in terms of their, their um, reactivity. They are not, but they are the field of exploration. In other words, if I'm really, really hostily angry at someone um, that makes, it makes no r- sense, no rational sense why I'm angry at them, then there's, there's, that's not something I need to act on. I don't need to respond to that as if it has legitimacy. But what I do need to do is explore it and find out what is that trigger, what's going off inside of me, what's going on. And in so doing, I will get to know myself better and I'll be able to direct my life better. Um, I can't do that without knowing what's going on inside of me. Now, currently, uh, many of my listeners are out, out there are, are, are new age, new thought, uh, spirituality people, and they are very, very interested in um, seeking for real truth. And so we're all reading the same literature. We're all learning the same stuff. And some of the stuff that we're reading is telling us to sit with our emotions, and some of the stuff that we're reading is telling us that, we have negative emotions that will um, drag us down and keep us from having the life we want. And, you know, one of the things I got taught early in my training as a therapist was there is no such thing as a negative emotion. Emotions are neutral. They, they have no more value than wild grasses and flowers growing up beside the highway in terms of their, in terms of their um, negative or positive energy. Um, they do have value in terms of our ability to explore explore them and find ourselves in them. Uh, so we might need to, as seekers, we might need to gather information and make our own assessment about what we really think is true. So the input to that that I have today is that um, my, my thinking is that dismissing an emotion as negative and as interfering is the same as... Um, not knowing yourself, it, it, it comes down to not knowing yourself. So if I'm angry, again, about something or I'm afraid about something or I have uh, some other emotion that I consider to be negative and I don't pay attention to it, then a couple of things might happen. One, I might repress it and then it will come out some other way because it will always come out. Emotions are meant to be noticed and they will keep nagging us in some form, either consciously or unconsciously, until we notice them. Um, And so if I've got an emotion and I negate it and I send it away, oh, you're just negative, you need to go away, I don't want you, then what I'm doing is I'm I'm pushing it down, I'm repressing it, and it will come out some other way, passive-aggressively or or passively, which means it's going to go into my body or into my spirit and make me depressed, or passive-aggressively, which means it's going to become sarcasm or some kind of lashing out at someone suddenly that I don't even understand, um, it's it's not going to form into something that I can use. So when that's the first thing that might happen. The second thing that might happen is that I am, uh, because I'm negating that emotion, I'm missing out on the treasure of information that that emotion has to give me. Uh, I, who knows what all I can learn about myself from just sitting with that emotion and listening. So we are, basically in the Western world, I, I think of us as a dismissive society. We are dismissing things very frequently that need to be paid attention to. I'm amazed sometimes at the sitcoms I hear on TV that, you know, somebody's just lost a a boyfriend or a husband or a wife or something uh, because somebody broke up with them and uh, you know, um, they've been together for several years and they've broken up and somebody comes to them and says, you're not over that yet? And it's been like two weeks or a month. You're not over that yet? Um, What we're saying there is Your emotions really don't matter. Get on with your life. And that is not a valid um, way of finding out who we really are. It may be how our society is teaching us to live, but again, we're missing the treasures that are inherent in our emotions. And, And we're also repressing, which means it's going to come back out later. The same thing is true of our dreams. The more we push away our dreams and try not to remember them, the more they will come up in another form so that we can get the same message. We are trying to give ourselves messages. The authentic self within us, the soul of us, is trying to give the ego, if you will, of us a message. And we're ignoring the message and wondering why our lives feel sometimes out of control. We don't understand our own actions sometimes. We don't understand our own motivations. Why is it that we... Uh, sabotage ourselves on the way to success? Why is it that we um, get angry at certain times over certain things and we, we don't even know why? Why is it that we are uh, unable to get out of the bed in the morning because we're depressed? What is really going on inside of us? We so often will say, I don't know, when it comes to an, uh, you know a question about why did you do that, why did you think that, why did you say that. I don't know, I don't know, I don't know. Like the little three-year-old who gets caught with his hand in the cookie jar. Why do you have the? What are you doing there? Why? Why are you taking those cookies? I told you not to take those. I don't know. Well, we don't. We very often don't know why we're doing what we're doing, why we're saying what we're saying, why we're thinking what we're thinking, why we're feeling what we're feeling. We don't because we've been taught by the overculture to not explore the internal uh, regions of our psyche. We're not supposed to do that. Why? Because in, that, in the overculture, that's seen as selfish. If you're exploring yourself, well, you're just busy contemplating your navel and what good are you to the world. It's that kind of thing. We're, we're not being able to really reach inside of ourselves and get the treasure that is in there and then take that treasure and give it to the world. So how is that selfish again now? I'm trying to figure that out. I don't really get that. If I've got a treasure inside of me, and I could give it to myself if I'd just go find it. And not only would I, could I give it to myself, but I could give it to you. Why are you telling me not to, not to go there? Why? Because of fear. Because we're afraid to do that. Why are we afraid to do that? Because tradition, traditional religion has very often taught us that if we go inside ourselves, we're going to find the devil. And that's that archetypal fear... Is, is is lying in there waiting for us to just open the door to that dark cave. And it will come out and say, oh, no, 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 you don't want to go in here because there's some bad stuff in there. So we, we don't go. We don't go. And uh, it's because of that archetypal memory we have of uh, that the overculture has sort of put upon us. And even though we may not be strictly a religious person, it's been passed down into our secular world as well so that we are we all generally speaking have some some modicum of belief that if we find out who we are we're going to find out that we're really not so good not such a good person and that's not a good thing we don't want to know that the second reason is because oh well you know if you're if you're exploring yourself you're one of those people those woo woo people and we don't want to be criticized by the culture as a woo-woo person, so we don't want to go there. Um, but really, do they have to know? I mean, come on now. Do they really have to know that you're exploring yourself? Do they have to know that you're that you're looking inside yourself to see and sort of assess what's going on as you look out at them? They don't have to know that. You don't have to go around and say, hey, did you know that I meditated for 30 minutes this morning? We don't have to tell them that. They don't have to know. It's not our job to teach the the great they out there how to be. It's just our job to fulfill our own souls. Um, And the more we can become full of that uh, unfoldment into our fullest soul, the more we are living uh, so full and so free that we don't really need to teach other people how to be, how to live. We might have a discussion like the one I'm having with you today that says, well, here's what I think and here's what you think, but... And since I'm holding forth today I'm not getting to hear much about what you think unless you want to call me, which I would love for you to do or email me, uh, which again I would love for you to do. The point is that if if you if we are able to have a discussion about what we think and feel that's great but it's not our job to make other people conform, nor is it their job to make us conform so the great they the overculture as I'm calling them today the they is it offers us a paradigm. And we have all, to some degree or another, bought it. Uh, And the paradigm is this. Be good. Do the right thing. Work hard. Be productive. Be a good citizen. And, you know, you can do your rowdiness, you know, on the side and kind of be wild and willy and crazy if you want on the side, but don't bring that into the light of day. And, you know, everybody knows you're going to do that. You're going to drink sometimes and get drunk sometimes and you're going to have a good old time and you're going to... Maybe even use a little pot sometimes. You're going to do these things on the side, but don't bring that into the everyday world. And furthermore, don't bring your authentic self into the everyday world because we don't want to know about it. We don't want to know that you've got something real in there. We don't want to know that we've got something real in there. What we want is for everything to be padded down and put into a neat little box so we can give it a label and we know what it is. That's what we want. And so everybody's trying to fit into their neat little box and everybody's trying to fit some kind of, um, of structure that's supposed to make them fit into the world, and then we all have a bunch of little um, carbon copies of each other. Now, there's enough uniqueness in this world, and there's enough of us out there who are trying to be authentic that that's beginning to slightly shift, but it's very slight, and um, and so we are... We, the shift we're not getting a lot of support, I guess, is what I want to say from the overculture for the shift. We're going to have to go deep into ourselves and gain that information. But in order to do that, we have to explore the field of our emotions. So, how does one begin to do that? Well, first, one has to encounter that dragon at the at the foot of our at the opening of the cave that says, "Don't go in here. <laughs> do not." Go into the regions of your emotions. You don't need to understand this. Don't go there. That's silly. Just get on with your life. We're going to encounter that dragon, and we're going to have to throw it some crumbs. Um, you know, that means that if there's a dragon standing in front of the bridge, and I need to get across it, and I don't have a blowtorch or a blow torch, a bazooka, you know, or some big, huge, horrible weapon to get rid of the dragon. I'm probably going to have to use what I've got, and if all I've got is a few crumbs in my knapsack, then I'm going to throw them over far away from the bridge, and the dragon's going to run and run over there to eat the crumbs, and while he's eating the crumbs, I'm headed across the bridge. So we may have to throw that dragon a few crumbs, and how we do that inside ourselves is to be able to say, uh, okay, uh, okay, I know that you don't want me to go in here, and I, I'm not, you know, I might not go very far, but I'm just going to look a little bit. I'm just going to kind of peep. I'm a little curious, and just let me... Step in here just a little bit. So what we said to that dragon is, I don't know what's going to happen in the next few minutes, but right now I'm stepping into the cave. And that way we don't have to swallow the whole um, pill at once. We don't have to say to ourselves, I'm going to be this constant emotional explorer, and I'm going to constantly understand myself, and I'm on that path and I'll never get off of it. Um, That's just swallowing the whole thing a little too quickly. Um, So what we may need to do is be able to just say to the dragon, okay, yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do in the future, but right now I'm going to step into the cave just a little bit and look at this one emotion and see what's going on. So that's the first thing is we we need to uh, recognize that we will encounter that dragon. The second thing is to begin to uh, understand that most of the time our emotions have some kind of external or internal trigger. The, uh, The emotions are not necessarily triggered by externals. They can be triggered by internals. So uh, an extra, I, very often I'll see people uh, come into therapy who are depressed, and they, they, they all say to me, well, you know, I've been depressed for several days, and, and I don't even know what happened, but all of a sudden I was doing really good, and then all of a sudden I got depressed. And so we have to explore what is it that happened that changed this, changed your state from doing okay to being depressed. And we're going to answer that question right after this break, Come back in just a few minutes.
0: Awakened Media for a transforming world. Seventh Wave Network.
1: Dad, can I ask you something? Sure. There's this girl I kind of like.
0: Say no more. You just have to impress her. Okay, but how? Just, I don't know, pick up a lot of heavy things
1: around her. Like what? You know, that's... Chairs, people, grunt if you have to. Grunt?
0: Yeah, be like, oh! Uh, oh uh, there you go. You don't have to be perfect to be a perfect parent. When you adopt a child from foster care, just being there makes all the difference. To learn more, call 1 A public service announcement brought to you by Adopt U.S. Kids, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, and the Ad Council.
1: we're back today talking about the emotions as a field of exploration rather than as something that should be dismissed. Um, What we were asking just before the break is what is it that changes a mood from from doing okay to getting depressed? Very often what I've discovered in my work is that there's some kind of trigger. Um, Sometimes it's easier to look at the external triggers first. So so we do that. And uh, one of the things that we might discover is that tiny little things that other people do can really start the cycle down into depression. So that, you know, suppose that uh, uh, someone has been dealing with uh, being overweight and they've been really struggling hard with this problem and they've reached a plateau and they go to the water fountain at work one day and, and somebody says something about, would you like to have a donut or something like that, and they, they kind of look at them like, you know, oh, wait, wait, I shouldn't offer this to you because you're already overweight. And the person interprets the looks, the person who's getting depressed right now interprets the look to mean something. And because of that interpretation, they begin to feel kind of ashamed of themselves a little bit. And then from the shame, that triggers other emotions that are linked to shame, which is sorrow and a longing, a frustration, Uh, a sense of yourself as not worthy, you know, and we can go on and on. And then that builds and it cycles and we're we're getting the tornado effect now. It's going to be able to cycle. And then we'll be able to see other things in our environment that say, yeah, you're not really worthy, and then we'll take on more of that. And then we'll see other things in the environment. "Uh Uh-huh, yeah, you're not really worthy, and we'll take on some more of that. And before you know it, we're depressed. So it can start with something really small like that, and that's why tuning in and paying attention to what's what's going on inside of us in a given moment is important. Now we might say, "Well, how can we do that?" Well, there's so much to do on the outside of us. There's so much that we have to focus on on the outside of us. One of the things that we um, have yet to understand, I think, for the for the most part, although many of us do still do have come to understand this, is that we can focus on more than one thing at a time. Um, you know, this whole idea of multitasking has come about recently over the past 10, 12 years. Um, that, you know, women are supposed to be so much better at multitasking than men are, but now men are trying to get better at multitasking too, and la, la, la. Uh, and those are all external tasks uh, for the large part, and feeding the baby and washing the dishes at the same time, or holding the baby and washing the dishes at the same time, or talking on the phone and holding the baby and washing the dishes at the same time. Those kinds of things. Those are external things. Um, but uh, we can also do that internally. And as a therapist, I do this quite frequently. I'm, I'm listening to my client talk to me about what's going on in them, and I'm having an emotional response to that. And every now and then that emotional response is something very personal to me. And I'm having to look at that personal thing so that it doesn't splash all, on, all over the client because it's mine, not theirs. And I'm looking at my personal thing as well as listening to their thing at the same time. So that we're, I'm in a conversation with them, not only on the talk level, but also on the emotional level. There's an emotional conversation going on as well, where my emotions are responding to their emotions. And, uh, and I'm able to really just kind of um, make that into a dynamic so that uh, I'm able to own my own emotions and, and sort of digest that without it becoming uh, theirs. And they are allowed to process their emotions in my presence without my stuff getting on theirs, because I know what's going on inside me. Whereas if I didn't, I might uh, I might project some of that out onto them, or I might react to something they say as if it belonged to me, or etc. In which case, I would not be doing my job as a therapist. So it's it, it is possible for us to do this. Um, it does take being. Being, paying attention enough to be practiced at it um, to be able to do that, but it is possible. So it's important for us to really tune in and, and pay attention to what's going on inside. The next thing we need to know is, is how we are interpreting not only the events that have happened but also the emotional response to the events. So we started off with that small little thing where a, a look got interpreted, All right. And what that got interpreted to mean was, oh, they don't like me or they think less of me because I'm overweight. All right. Well, Let's take that, and, and it could be true. It could be that that person does think that way. On the other hand, it could also be true that they don't, and I projected my own feeling of unworthiness onto them and assumed that they thought that. Uh, the truth is, we don't know what they're thinking, and that that's what we can settle on when we can sort of process the emotions a little bit and think through the emotions. Here's where the thought comes into play. Think through them using our, our noodle, so to speak, our heads, to, to uh, digest, to pay attention, to process those emotions so that we're putting thought together with emotion. And so we, we might conclude that, no, I don't even know what they were thinking, and that's a way to sort of go, okay, do I really have to get depressed here? No, I, I don't. I don't have to get depressed. I can recognize that I've still got some shame. I can process that shame and listen to it um, and sit beside it and comfort it, but I don't have to believe that my interpretation of what that other person thought was correct. And that's how we stop the depression before it ever starts. So you see what I'm saying? It's very important for us to tune in so that we're in charge instead of the emotions taking charge of us. What we fear about emotions is that we will have to obey them, and that's how they become mood they train they they become mood because we've obeyed them instead of listening to them and holding the tension between them okay then it's then it's not just how do we interpret the external event but how are we interpreting the emotions so okay let's say that uh, that I'm really uh, working on uh, a vision board right now in my life and I want something very much that I don't yet have. Let's say I want some money just to make it easy. And um, and I've got this, what I call a negative emotion going on inside of me that says, you can't really have that. You, you, you know, you're not worthy of that. You can't really have that. Well, if I judge that emotion as negative and I tell it to go away, what will happen is it won't, it just kind of goes down out of my conscious awareness. It doesn't really go away. It doesn't resolve. It doesn't fix anything. It doesn't change. It doesn't uh, get heard. It doesn't get heard, and so since it isn't heard, it just sits down in there. And every now and then, it'll come back up, and some of that may not be very pretty when it comes back up. But if I if I if I ask myself what, how am I interpreting my negative emotion, what I have to conclude is that I've interpreted that emotion as negative. I've called it negative, and therefore I've told it to go away. And in the process, I've made myself feel more out of control because now I've got this emotion that's negative, and I don't know what to do about it except tell it to go away. And I know it's not really going to go away. I know this. We all know this. It doesn't really go away. It comes back. And I've heard people come in to see me uh, as In in therapy, and say to me, I can't make that emotion go away, and my response is always, it's not. You're not supposed to be trying to make it go away. That's not the name of the game. Get let's get the emotion to go away. It's let's hear what the emotion has to say. Let's listen to it so that it can give us information that we can use to explore the dynamic elements of your life. So how I'm interpreting that emotion is everything. If I have an emotion of fear and I tell myself, oh, you shouldn't be afraid, fear is bad, then what I'm doing is telling myself that I'm out of control of this thing that's inside of me, and that makes me feel hopeless. So I'm already headed down the slippery slope towards something akin to depression just because I've mislabeled, misinterpreted my emotion. But if I can look at my emotion as just Uh, uh, something that has come up that needs to be heard then I'm not uh, qualifying it Uh, I'm just simply saying okay I hear you so if every time your adolescent speaks to you you tell it to shut up then you're not being there for the adolescent and it's the same way with our emotions and the reason I'm using an adolescent is because we typically think of adolescents as rebellious and we typically think of our emotions as rebelling against us particularly when we're going along with the New Age New Thought Law of Attraction um, educational information that's out there right now that says negative emotions can keep you from having what you want. So we think, I really want this, so I've got to make sure I have no negative emotions. So therefore, if I have negative emotions, then I feel out of control, and that makes me feel more negative emotions, which makes me feel more out of control. And here I am headed down the slippery slope and... um, Really, emotions have, have power to control us to the degree that we're not listening to them. Emotions have power to control us to the degree that we're not listening to them, to the degree that we are listening to them and holding the tension and then making our decision about what we're going to do. That's the degree to which emotions are just messengers. They're just giving us information. That's all. That's giving us information. So now, when we get to interpreting our emotion and, uh, and judging our emotion, what we, what we end up doing very often is bargaining with our emotions. So we say, well, that doesn't feel good. I don't want to feel that anymore. So if I do this, then I won't feel that. Um, that's the bargain. So um, very often I see people stuck in the bargaining stage of acceptance, and we've talked about this previously on the show, so I'm not going to spend a lot of time on it, but... Um, if I see someone in bargaining stage of acceptance, it's like, you know, well, my father didn't really love me or pay attention to me. He was not very much there and he was pretty judgmental. So if I can continue to try to please my father, then maybe he'll love me and I'll feel better. So that's the bargain. If I can please him, then I'll feel better. And, uh, so we can get stuck in that and it has a real, uh, compulsive quality to it. Um, so that's, that's one of the ways that we deal with emotions is not effective and when we come back after the break we're going to talk about how we can make these things effective how we can use emotions to help us we'll be back in just a awakened
0: media for a transforming world seventh wave network america is facing a skilled workforce shortage Skills USA can help What is Skills USA? Skills USA is life-changing. Skills USA is awesome.
1: Skills USA is one of the biggest opportunities life can give you. Skills USA is amazing. Skills USA is motivating. Skills USA specifically prepares you for the workforce. Skills USA empowers students to connect with a
0: network of people starting with their classmates, to their advisors, to other
1: people in their states. be a deciduous tree.
0: You live for the firsts in your child's life, but how do you cope with the firsts that come after your child is diagnosed with cancer? CureSearch.org connects you to the doctors and scientists whose collaborative research has turned childhood cancer from a nearly incurable disease to one with an overall cure rate of 78%. CureSearch.org. You're not as alone as you feel. Brought to you by CureSearch and the Ad Council. 472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews.
1: And we're back with the final segment of the show. We're talking today about how you can use utilize your emotions to help you explore your life and uh, we've, how we've been basically taught to ignore or dismiss our emotions, and we're looking at it a little differently today. What we were saying just before the break is that how we interpret our emotions means a lot in terms of what's going to happen next with the next emotion and how we judge that emotion if we call it negative and, and, and try to send it away or negative and try to make it, put, make it go away by bargaining with it, then we are not utilizing our emotions effectively. Effective living is just that. Effective means it works. Um, there's lots of things that work to uh, eliminate negative feelings, alcohol, drugs, uh, manipulating other people, um, playing a certain role sometimes to get other people to do what we want them to do, being demanding, being hostile, being uh, bullying, being you know, all these things. They seem to work to give us what we want, but... All the time, what's happening is we're really just bargaining with our own emotions and our own experience of life. If you knew, if you knew for sure today that your emotions held for you a deep and beautiful treasure that may, would make your life much more meaningful and joyous, would you? Would you go there? Would you be willing to take the risks to go there? I would. I have. And what I've experienced is that I know myself at deeper and deeper levels. Um, the other question is, how will you ever expect others to really listen to you if you're not really listening to yourself? Because even when you talk, you're not being able to to really talk about the things that are really truly meaningful to you if you haven't first listened to yourself. So you might ask somebody for something, but how do you know it's what you really want if you haven't even been inside yourself long enough to find out? The more you don't listen to yourself, the more others are not going to listen to you because even if they're listening, even if they're trying hard to give you what you want, if you don't know what you want, you're not going to be able to tell them. So how do we nurture our truest needs? That's the question. We nurture ourselves... First, because we can recognize soothing when it happens, we can recognize growth when it happens, we can recognize joy when it happens, we can recognize pain when it happens. The reason we recognize these things is because we've tuned in enough to hear them. That is why, in this particular time in our in our evolution, our psychological, spiritual evolution pain seems to be the thing that will drive us to therapy or drive us to the guru or drive us to religion or drive us to uh, something that will try to give us some answers. It's because pain is something we finally hear. Now, most of us have a threshold that it has to cross over before we actually hear it. And for some people, that threshold is very high. In other words, I can experience a whole lot of pain before I'm ever driven to therapy (laughs) by it because I'm used to it. I've had a lot of pain in my life, and I've basically ignored it, so I can just keep on ignoring it and keep on keeping on. But when I finally hit that wall that says, "Uh uh-oh, I can't get beyond this pain, that's when I'm going to go for help. So it is our emotions that drive us to get the help we need. Emotions are an impactful serious, glorious, treasureful uh, economy in our lives. And if we can begin to utilize them, they're very helpful. Okay, nurturing my truest needs means that I have to know what my truest needs are first. And nurturance is just that. It is giving myself what I need, what I hunger for, what I long for, what what I most need in a given situation so that I will continue to grow. That's what nurturance is. Self-soothing is when I can take a particularly difficult um, emotion and soothe it, inform it that it's going to be okay, hug it, hold it, Uh, let it know that it's okay to feel what it's feeling. When you've been upset about something, if any time in your life when you've cried in front of someone, was it helpful for them to say, get over it? Was it helpful for them to say, oh, just, you know, quit being on your pity pot? Now, yeah, I can say that if there was an extended period of literal complaining without doing anything about it, maybe we needed to hear somebody say, get off your pity pot, but... Just if you're really upset about something and somebody tells you to stop feeling it, does that help? When somebody, when you're angry about something and somebody tells you to calm down, do you calm down? Typically not. Typically you get angrier. The worst thing you can say to somebody when they're upset is to calm down or angry is to calm down. So we're not doing ourselves a service when we do to ourselves what we don't want others to do to us. When we shut ourselves down... We're not helping ourselves. But what we can do to help ourselves is begin to, um, like I said before, sit beside it, listen to it. You may need to get out a journal, a piece of paper, something you can write on. So when, these, when the information comes, you're ready to receive it. But once it's received, then we have to really try hard not to judge it, not to put it in a category, not to tell it to go away, not to tell it it's negative, just to sit beside it and listen and hear what it has to say. And you'd be surprised how just hearing it can give you enough information through which you can then make a decision about what you want to do about a given problem or scenario. So it's important for us to be able to to do that, but it's also important for us to not let our feelings escalate to the point that we feel out of control or overwhelmed. So, again, that holding the tension is important, and we have to be able to to sit in the room with the various feelings that we have and hold that tension. How do you hold the tension? By simply maintaining a sense of neutrality, by simply saying, I'm not going to judge anything until I get all the information I need. It's like if you're going to go buy a car. You want to get all the information you, you can get before you buy a car. Now... Some of us go out and buy cars on impulse. But, you know, if you're going to be really smart about how you spend your money, you're probably going to want to get as much information as you can uh, to to, uh, make the right decision. Not only will you want a car that you fall in love with, but you'll want a car that really runs well, that is mechanically operative, that is not too terribly expensive, and that you've got some good warranties on. You know, you're going to want to explore all that. The same thing is true with uh, getting information from ourselves about ourselves, that we're, we need to get all the information before we can make a decision. So what we're talking about today is learning to be patient and non judgmental toward ourselves as we listen to our own emotions. And next week we're going to be talking to Caroline Mice about her latest book, Defy Gravity. Tune in again for that. She's, uh, this is her second visit to our show. We're excited about that. And uh, remember, the show is now being sponsored by Spirituality and Health Magazine. We're really excited about that as well. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself.
0: Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews is brought to you by Spirituality and Health Magazine, The Soul-Body Connection. Visit SpiritualityHealth.com today.